Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're diving into fraud. Especially with the holidays coming up, it's an appropriate topic. And to discuss all this, I'm joined by Megan Blissick, Senior Partner Manager from Signified. And Megan, as a Senior Partner Manager at Signified, is a leader in e-commerce protection. Her background includes a wide spread of e-commerce experience, ranging from brand management to digital marketing and advertising, in addition to building partnerships through the SaaS ecosystem. So overall today, I'm going to start it off with a statistic that 146% increase has been seen in automated fraud attacks in 2020. What's going on in the world? Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. Excited to be here. What we've really seen in the past, I would say, what, year and a half is that as e-commerce really took off and most commerce during the pandemic shifted almost entirely online, our friendly and our unfriendly fraudsters also found a space in e-commerce. So, you know, fraudsters are not new to working from home, unlike the rest of us. Uh, so we really started seeing a lot more attacks happening in the e-commerce space. We've seen different types of attacks as well, because, you know, as e-commerce fraud prevention tends to uh, shift and accommodate for the new landscape. Our fraudsters also find ways to work around those new barriers. The statistic that you called out was actually automated fraud attacks. There's a ton of different kinds of fraud that we see in the e-commerce landscape. Automation is one of them that's pretty easy, straightforward. Think of a bot attack where millions of credit card numbers are just run through in a certain account. Something like that is pretty easy, low lift, you know, not a lot of energy just to uh, set up a script and run that. We've seen that huge shift in automated fraud attacks, but we've actually seen bigger changes in different parts of the industry. We actually saw a 350% increase in fraud pressure across the entire industry from January 2020 to March 2021. And do you think this increase in fraud, while obviously there was a lot of shift to digital commerce and digital transformation during the initial onset of the pandemic and the continuation of the work from home, and I love that comment, by the way, that you know fraudsters are used to working from home and not a lot of us were. Overall, the different types, you talked about bot attacks, you talked about automated. Let's explore and unpack a few more there. So from the list that I found when doing some research and account takeover, return fraud, stolen identity, mule fraud? Mule fraud is actually a really interesting one, and it had a big moment during the pandemic. So mule fraud is when a fraudster uses a intermediary to transfer and effectively clean stolen goods. So mule fraud was usually seen in romance fraud, actually. So someone creates a dating profile, spends months building affection with a couple different people and then says, oh, I'm stuck in this place or my laptop was broken. Can you send me a new one and I'll wire you the money? What happened when everyone shifted to working from home was a lot of people lost their jobs really quickly. So take a case where a lot of new online companies started posting up, um, asking people to manage inventory. So uh, one case that was pretty rough, there was a young mother. She lost her job to a pandemic cutback, and then she found a job from an online ad. The employer was called Jerry and Sam Logistics, and her whole job was just doing inventory. Mm -hmm. So she would receive products, she would inventory them, and then she would ship them pretty much around the world. After a few months of this, that company went silent because they weren't actually a real company. They were just stealing goods. Uh, she was receiving them and then shipping them to their final destination. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's mule fraud for you. So that so uses... truly using the definition from all of those movies about mules transporting illegal goods 
same concept, just in a digital commerce fashion here and using unsuspecting people who think that they have a legitimate job and actually they're working for those fraudsters. Exactly. Oh, wow. So they get completely defrauded. Luckily, we caught on to some of those mule fraud rings pretty early on. So we saw that huge increase in the beginning of the pandemic. We were able to cut down a lot of that fraud. And now that category is effectively dead for now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I say for now because, you know, fraud is very dynamic. Mm -hmm. That's the reason that uh, when we look at fraud, we take a very comprehensive approach. Static rules. If this thing happens, then cancel an order is the typical like original fraud prevention Mm -hmm. that we used to see on e-commerce sites. So say if the billing and shipping address don't match, cancel an order. If the CVV code is wrong, cancel an order. Those really static rules, fraud's very dynamic, so people find their way around them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And someone will always find a way around around something is what I always say. And unfortunately, in good and bad ways. And in this case with fraud, it is a bad way. You mentioned bot attacks earlier, and there's been a lot of different internet outages and, and not fraud always related, but there's other things that are a type of just way that bot attacks and fraud Unpack that for me and tell me a little bit more about how that bot attack itself is a form of fraud. Yeah, absolutely. So there's either a fraudulent bot attack, which is an attack using stolen credentials information, but then there's also unauthorized reselling. Mm -hmm. So your first one, let's use a well-known hack. So the Equifax hack, Mm -hmm. uh, I was in that one, hooray. Oh, yes, (laughs) I was in it too. Oh, yes. (laughs) So us, as well as millions of other Americans, had all of their social security numbers and personal information leaked. That exists on the dark web now. I don't know how to get on there. I hope you don't either. (laughs) But you can go and buy that list and you can run that through a script and attempt to make a transaction with tens or thousands of different credit cards. Two reasons that's bad. One is it's stolen information uh, that could end up on that end consumer. But also companies have to, even if they cancel all those orders, um, they're still paying that processing fee. So 10,000 processing fees at even like 2% rate, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. So you've got this pre-authorization issue right there. But then the other piece is looking at those you know, hot ticket items and unauthorized reselling. So do you play video games? Uh, occasionally. All right. uh, I'm not a big gamer, I'll admit. I'm, I'm more of a, let me do something on my iPad, but <laughs> I'm more of a reader than a gamer. Oh, love some good books. Mm-hmm. But uh, have you heard of this device called the uh, PlayStation 5? Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of fraud around that, I'm assuming, from your comment. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, so those bot attacks bought up as many PlayStation 5s as they could. So that was, that's not illegal to buy them, but... Mm-hmm show up on eBay at 10x the price. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw a lot of griping and about that, but you know that's, that's really rough because that's an unauthorized reseller. Yep. Uh, that's a product that people want. Uh, there's a chip shortage right now. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to buy a new car, probably don't yet. Yep, uh, hold out on that. And prices are also just reflective of that because the used car market also got annihilated because of COVID with people buying those up. Mm-hmm. And then also with the chip shortage here. And The PS5, I did read about that and a lot of the blogs that I read instead of play the games. But overall, on the fraud side of that, I think it's also interesting where you see some of the bigger box retailers like Best Buy, like other online organizations who are selling those devices, started to limit the amount that you can purchase or ship to a single address to try and help prevent that, is my assumption. And through that, you know, the eBay tactic, and I'll fully admit that I have, you know, sold past 
products as more memorabilia. Uh, I'm an Apple fanboy, as I've said before on this. So I've sold old Apple devices and it's effective. But when you're doing the new game, when you're doing the iPhone game, I've seen that across the board. I've got friends in Europe who have asked, oh, can you buy me the iPhone? Because it comes out in the US first and ship it over to me. And there's a lot of different tactics to help lock that down. But there's different things that it sounds like Signified helps with. So tell me a little bit about how in the back end Signified's helping identify that and prevent it or communicate to the organizations when they see it potentially happening. Yeah, absolutely. So a really easy way to notice that, like you said, you know, stores have that limit. They say you can only buy five, but what stops you from going back into that store after you put them in your car, uh, going to a different cash register and Mm -hmm. buying five more? Uh, online, at least we have an idea of who you are every time. So cashier A might not recognize you from cashier B, but Signified recognizes any person that's shopping online. We use a network-based approach. So we're taking more than 80 different data points and putting together a really comprehensive idea of a customer, who they are, how they shop, you know, how long do you spend time on a website? Do your your keystroke patterns, do you always mm-hmm. mistype your name or If you're like me, do you always fat finger your CVV code and have to type it back in again? Mm -hmm. Uh, So we look at all of those different pieces of a customer and really create a singular view of who that person is and whether or not their transaction is legitimate or not. But when we look at bot attacks or someone buying a lot of different products, we can actually do a velocity stop. So we can say, okay, we've seen this person shop at nine different stores in our network in the past 45 seconds. That's, we should probably flag this. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is probably not a person. I don't think anyone could do that that quickly. So we're able to not only look at how quickly someone is buying on one site, but across every site in our network of over 10,000 merchants. And I I know on your site and your marketing, you use Defenders of Commerce, which is a great slogan tagline to use in your marketing. And when you look at the Defender of Commerce phrase, it really is about protecting the organization, but also the consumer, exactly. correct? Yeah. And, and with that, what are some other ways that last year there was a huge uptick of BOPIS and overall just uh, BOPAC, BOPAC, right? <laughs> and there's talk about returns now also happening curbside. And what are the options for helping prevent fraud with that? with either the returns or pick pick one of those BOPIS, BOPAC, or curbside return, whatever it may be. Where's an area that Signified is really helping identify the new fraud trend that's happening, right? Because it's always, you can't proactively prevent something new. You have to react to it. That you're seeing as something this year alone that is going to be a big area for organizations to make sure that they're aware of our consumers. Yeah, absolutely. So for people that aren't acronym oriented, uh, BOPIS is buy online, pick up in store, and BOPAC is buy online, pick up at curbside. If you're over in Europe, it might be called click and collect. This is a really new, not entirely new, but this is a really big shift into the omni-channel experience for consumers. Uh, When pandemic hit, you couldn't really go into a store, but you could buy your items online. You could drive up to the store, say, hey, I'm here, and have someone bring out Mm -hmm. your products. Uh, this is really convenient, right? Like this. Oh, isn't it's some, great. Yeah, I love it. I used it at Best Buy last year at one point, and I was like, "Oh, just pull up, let them know I'm here, and it's just I don't even have to get out and go through the store anymore." Exactly. Saves me a lot more money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Saves you some of those impulse buys. Some of them are working their way around. Yes, some of they them are. text you on your way mm-hmm. there, and they're like, "You want anything you else? Want to add this." 
Uh, which again, I mean, this is the evolution of commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just online. You know, you can go and you can get your online products immediately at a store. You don't have to wait for shipping. So this is really awesome. But you know, there's a lot less data points mm-hmm. when you know there's no billing address and shipping address when you're not shipping it anywhere. Mm-hmm. So. It's also pretty quick fulfillment a lot of the time. Again, we are in a buy now, get now society. Amazon has same day shipping, which yeah. is which still blows my mind. But I know that's been out for years, but I'm still. It is. I, I, I completely agree with you. I just ordered something over the weekend. I bought it on Saturday. It arrived Sunday afternoon. I'm like, come on. How do you have it that close to me? It's, it wasn't <laughs> even something I, I would consider. It was a, a very unique card game. And I was like. Really, you have that that close to me that you don't have to give me two days shipping. I'm like, really, the next day. And it's also, I have to personally admit, the countdown timer of Amazon gets me every time. Order by this time and you'll get it tomorrow or same day. It's the greatest invention and the worst invention at the same time. Exactly. And if you have a slow checkout, if you don't have competitive shipping times, mm-hmm. then your customer will just go to Amazon. Yeah. Most most merchants sell on Amazon mm-hmm. as well as on their own personal website. So they're selling the same product and taking a huge margin hit by yeah. doing that. I would have to say, though, on Amazon, just to keep on this tangent for one moment, and I'll bring us back to fraud. It kind of relates a little bit. But I've also gotten a little sick of on Amazon certain products that have been replicated by so many different organizations, especially when you get to like cables or power adapters or things in the tech space where I look at it and I know it's the exact same one rebranded 15 different times, but it's just the price gouging that happens if you don't really shop because the Amazon algorithm, when you do the search, some of those that are coming up are not the best priced right away. You actually have to spend the time digging down now to find the best lowest price and it's a bit frustrating for me on that side. And some of them also are just fraudulent in terms of just knockoff products. Yeah. And I know Amazon's addressing that. They had an announcement a week or so ago, and they were talking about trying to address that more. But overall, it's just how do you trust that with fraud? Because even review fraud comes into play. Yeah, definitely. And I know they've done a lot of work with that, but that's another reason that consumers trust brands. It Mm -hmm. comes with a lot of security. You know the product you're getting, the quality you're getting. So if your brand has the right product, great. But if you don't have the right experience and if you're cutting out good customers, you're going to send them away. Absolutely. So as we look at the different aspects, we've talked a lot about kind of what's happening in fraud today and, and lessons for tomorrow. I like to always go back to the past look at the present, and then look at the future. So let's go back to the past for a minute. Take ourselves back 10 years. What was fraud like 10 years ago in the online space? Yeah, I mean, what was e-commerce like 10 years ago, right? So Very troubling. (laughs) (laughs) So so fraud wasn't really that sophisticated because Mm -hmm. e-commerce wasn't that big. I think I remember a couple of times people saying that e-commerce was a fad. We were like, well, well, no, but <laughs> I think it's past that definition now. I, I think but. we're good now. So <laughs> fraud prevention used to be very formulaic, very basic. It was built into your your platform that you were selling on. And it was, I think we brought up these static rules before. So if X, then Y, mm-hmm. if the billing and shipping address don't match, cut out your customer. But we know that, I mean, we're in an office right now, right? Mm-hmm. So you might be buying something and sending it to your office, but your billing address is not your office. Yep. So there goes some good customers. Uh, so these filters, you know, they're over filtering really good traffic. You're cutting out legitimate buyers, but you're also, while you're trying to prevent fraud, those binary rules, 
they don't really make the cut. A really good example of this one, there was a merchant in the Signified Network that before they signed on, they had been having an issue with fraud with some of their couches. Red couches that were being shipped to Florida kept getting mm. defrauded. Just, just, just red? Just red. <laughs> so they actually made a rule in their system that said if the order is for a red couch and the billing addresses in Florida reject this order. Mm-hmm. So sorry, Floridians. <laughs> yep. Oh, no. Trust me. I was there with a client of ours who sells women's high fashion shoes and a James Brown was ordering size 12s and a single color and in quantities of 15. And we flagged it for fraud back then. And it was like you said earlier, it's if this, then do this action to prevent. And we put that rule in place and it was actually a legit order. It was quite interesting. It was for a performer who was using the high heels and very uh, adamant about getting those specific shoes in that color and having multiple pairs for all the shows that he was putting on. So interesting how the simple rules of the past for fraud, you used the word earlier and I just want to go back to it, but how it's evolved over time. E-commerce has evolved. Consumer shopping behavior has evolved. And I think that's critical in just how the fraudsters have evolved. And I love that word, by the way, fraudsters. I don't know why. I just, I, I love it. It's fun rolling off the tongue. Slightly and loving term. So for slightly for loving. It's just <laughs> the errs in it. And overall, I just, they've continued to advance their ways. Unfortunately, there are a lot more data breaches and the aspect of, I mean, even T-Mobile just had a massive data breach, unfortunately. And it's going to happen. As a, I'll call myself a bit of a younger generation, uh, I've accepted that things will happen like that. Now, my parents, on the other hand, it bothers them so much every single time that it has unfortunately happened three times with them for credit card fraud. And my dad had a full identity aspect. And especially last year with unemployment claims was a whole nother level of fraud that happened. And each time it's just like, they're like, why does this happen? I go, well, because your information is out there somewhere and it can be hacked. No matter what level of security you think is there, there's always going to be a way through because a human built it. And fraud is dynamic. And fraud is dynamic. Yeah, going so back to that. So going back to our uh, our red couches, our fraudsters <laughs> just switched to buying blue ones. So. Oh, they did switch their color preference. They did. They just no. changed it up a bit. So it really goes to show those rules that were put in place, you know, they don't really do the trick. Yeah. So the next layer of evolution mm-hmm. in, in fraud prevention is scoring. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, looking at more of those data points, looking at past these couple rules of what mm-hmm. we think fraudsters are going to do and look a bit more at the customer. Are you doing a bit more predictive algorithmic aspects then for that scoring where you're taking the current score and predicting that if this score hits this threshold, then pause yeah. the ordering or cancel the order, et cetera? Yeah. So usually scoring is on a scale of one to a thousand. So okay. a thousand being the best customer, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Joe from down the street. But your zero being this is mm-hmm. a random fake email address that was generated a day ago. No, that's a big range. One yeah, to a thousand. A, Why not one to ten? Oh, there's so many different data okay, points. Okay, that's so. right. The data points. Yeah. I just bring it back for our listeners. Bring make sure. Because I think I heard you say earlier around 80 data points is what yeah, was Signified being used uses before. over 80. Okay. Uh, a lot of them are those first party ones from our network itself of seeing people that have transacted on any of the Signified merchant network. Mm-hmm. And then we also use third party ones, so, you know. Uh, your billing address, shipping address, your card information, mm-hmm. email address, age of email address, IP address. Um, those behavioral traits, I think, are really interesting ones of 
you know, how long and how, how you navigate on a website. Do you go from homepage to product page? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you chat with someone in the, in the chat box now to yeah. kind of get that an idea? time on site kind of gives you a sense of bot versus human. Exactly. Okay. You know, if you, if you navigate directly to a product page, put it in your cart and ship it within what, 35 seconds might be a little sketchy, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. might be your 45th visit to this website yeah. and you're actually ready to make your purchase. So yeah. understanding a bit more about that customer, you know, zooming out that focus a bit. So, you know, we would get that number or that score for a customer where we'd say, you know, this is a 890. So this is probably a good customer, mm-hmm. 250, probably bad. But then you have this whole range, like 600 to 800. Are they good customers? Are they bad customers? Something's a little off. You know, maybe their IP address is really far away from their billing, but mm-hmm. maybe they're using a VPN and we don't know. Mm-hmm. So Traveling. Exactly. Sometimes I know that I get that warning of, uh, we don't identify the location that you're logging in from, all that fun stuff. I just did this. I was out in California with my seven-year-old. He gets a fun trip with me. Each of my boys do. Mm-hmm. And... I ended up buying something out there while I was talking to his aunt and uncle and just again immediately it was like we don't recognize where you're logging in from you're in California and verify via your email and as annoying as it was I also had that sense of protection mm-hmm. which I appreciated I would love to just buy everything in 35 seconds and not have to think about it mm-hmm. but I like that the protections there to ensure that I'm not going to be the suspect of a fraudulent order or anything on my account. Exactly. And, you know, I appreciate that protection too, but a lot of customers, when they can't make that transaction, again, they'll just leave. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that it can be seen as protection. It can also be seen as friction. So what Signified really likes to do is take all that protection and just put it outside of the eyes of the consumer. So make sure that that customer and that merchant are still protected, but there's no friction in that checkout process. How do you take it so that they don't experience the friction? And when you talk outside the process, is it that it's right before the order is getting fully processed, it's pending and and it's all behind the scenes happening? Is it during the checkout process that you're doing these checks? Kind of roll out the timeline for us with that. Yeah. So Signified sits right after the buy button. So you click buy that order and we operate and we check all of those data points, everything that we've talked about in a fraction of a second. If we say that this is a good order, if we think that it's legitimate and we guarantee that order, everything goes through, happy, good to go. Some merchants still like to do manual review. So those people in that 600 to 800 range or whatever that merchant decides, sometimes they'll go to an extra layer of person security. So someone to actually review that order, get an idea of like, you know, is this real or not? Mm -hmm. So you might have gotten an email sometimes that says your order has been received. So it's that, okay, like, yes, we got your order, it went through, and then later you get your shipping notification. So that kind of blind space in between of your order being received or confirmed can sometimes be where that manual process takes place. Consumer doesn't see it. They don't see that they're Mm -hmm. getting an extra layer of reviewer security. Sometimes that order gets reviewed and then they say, apologies, this order's been canceled. You know, it can look like, say, we didn't have the product or... Something yeah. didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So there's there's ways that we can keep it outside of the customer's view while still confirming that they are a legitimate buyer. Yeah. And I think that's critical because, and you, you mentioned this earlier too, but just the experience, that customer experience of going through and placing that order, reducing the friction as much as possible, but knowing that they're protected is the whole goal. Exactly. And also then for the organization, 
the business knowing that they aren't going to deal with fraudulent orders because that's a big ticket item for them to have to deal with year in, year out and the amount of fraud that comes through. Because it's not like for a fraudulent order, it's just wiped clean on your ledger. It is still something you have to deal with. If it's shipped out and you don't get it back, that's a product loss and Mm -hmm. you're still dealing with that. So having fraudulent protection in place is critical for both sides. Yeah. And that's where we saw scoring still falling a little short because, Mm -hmm. you know, that order comes in $20,000, 15 pairs of shoes that are really expensive and it's 750, right? Like it's good. It's not great. It's that like B plus Mm -hmm. range. Do you want to take the risk as a merchant to lose $20,000? And that could be a really high value customer, right? You know, Mm -hmm. if that's a legitimate order, that's, that's someone you want coming back as much as possible. But if that's a fraudster, you're out 20 grand and the product. Mm -hmm. So that's a really hard place. And we're still finding merchants, you know, declining these high value orders because of fear of fraud. And that's where Signify decided Okay, let's let's go all the way on this. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why I said guaranteed fraud prevention. So mm-hmm. when we review an order, we'll figure out the score and then we'll put a guarantee on it. We'll say, if this is fraud, Signify pays the merchant back in full. Product, shipping, taxes, fees, everything associated with that fraudulent order. And that really helps us enable that fearless commerce, protects end-to-end for mm-hmm. that merchant. And then it just shifts the liability over to us. So they're able to raise their conversion rate, increase their customer retention rate, increase their customer satisfaction rate, all in the background, all bringing in more money and more orders while Signified handles the rest. Yeah. And that peace of mind is just, it's priceless, honestly. And I, I think just to, to your point too about those orders and while it might be high value, it's also the aspect, and I would say last year, and a lot of our clients talked to me about this, is just the inventory shortages. Yeah. So not wanting to lose potential inventory that could be sold to a high value customer or to that customer who's the first time purchaser but is a legit customer versus a fraudster is where the signified guarantee is is so critical because it allows you to have that peace of mind overall as a business that you can still do your transactions online without the fear of the fraud hitting you that hard. And I think as we look to just kind of wrap up the call, let's let's talk a little bit about the future. Yeah. Where do you see if you had a crystal ball? Where is fraud going to go in the future? It's dynamic. We've talked about that. We've talked about how they always find the loophole. They find their way through everything. But when we we think about just the amount that has been lost, right? So last year, another stat before I have you answer this, $11.6 billion last year to return fraud and cost of goods alone. Yeah. So it's a massive number. It's actually. So predict the future for me, Megan. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'll, I'll pull out the uh, the crystal ball right now. Uh, so you kind of hit on that that squeaky wheel of fraud is mm-hmm. uh, returns fraud. So there's a couple different ways this falls. You know, there are those abusive customers that will. This happens a bit more in fashion uh, than most cases, or like luxuries. Um, buy that product, tuck the tags in, wear it to mm-hmm. that special event. And then return it back. What? There's a lot of nods <laughs> happening here. For, uh, yeah. Oh, who would ever do that? Prom. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tricky one, right? Uh, so that's, you know, that's a type of customer abuse. But then there's a whole other type of returns fraud that I, I'm going to say it's kind of funny. But um, there's, there's a loophole that a lot of fraudsters have been taking advantage of, um, of shipping back products of similar size and shape. 
So oh. this actually hit some of our electronics merchants pretty rough in the past year or so. Buy a speaker, buy an iPhone, a MacBook, or mm-hmm. you know anything of those. Um, should I should I take brands out of this? Just buy That's, a laptop yeah. or a cell no, phone? No, you're fine. You're good. It's all good. <laughs> and the funniest one I think we got was uh, someone returned a potato <laughs> instead of an iPhone. Oh. Same weight, actually. So, you know, it got the okay from FedEx when mm-hmm. the box was when scanned. When the box was scanned, yeah. And, you know, when it gets, when it gets to that, uh, that shipper, the return is already initiated. So by the time it actually gets back to the merchant and they're able to say, oh, we just got a potato in the mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that card's already canceled. That money's already gone. Yeah. So someone made off with the money and the product. Returns abuse is huge. And catching uh, those systemic mm-hmm. offenders, and that's a really that's another great reason why this network-based approach works for us. If we're able to see this same person sending returns to seven, eight, ten different merchants across our network at the same time, that's a big red flag. You know, yeah. returning products is a legitimate thing. If you get something, it didn't fit, it didn't mm-hmm. work, you had something else similar, you tried different items out, you didn't like one, yeah send it back but we're able to start looking at those fraudsters a bit differently in that return space and start catching patterns um, going back to mule fraud you mm-hmm. know kind of looking at those fraud rings that we're seeing and ensuring that we can kind of stop the bad guys on that one so that's where i see a lot of focus going and that's definitely where a lot of signified's focus is going so wonderful. keep an eye out for more wonderful that's a great crystal ball moment i appreciate it so much being on the show today. Thank you, Megan, for all your insights. And for everyone listening, thank you for tuning into the future by listening to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast today. For more information about the topics discussed, take a look at the research and stats in the description of this episode. And if you liked it, please be sure to subscribe to and or follow this podcast wherever you listen and stay up to date with us. While you're at it, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and sharing this podcast with others to prepare them for the future, that would be a great gift to give. And don't be fraudulent with it. Give the gift. Don't ask for a return. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, and I look forward to the next lesson.